Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts, Lord. We heard your words, Lord, and we, Lord, want to receive and want to see you just as those disciples did that day. And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we read, uh, two of the disciples of Jesus were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, where presumably either one or both of them lived. And these two disciples of Jesus were sad. And of course they were sad. As they had stated in the story, the person that they had hoped would redeem Israel or liberate Israel from Rome had been humiliated and crucified before he got the chance to do so in their minds. The person who they thought was the prophet and deliverer like Moses from Egypt, the coming one who was foretold about in scripture had been delivered up by their own chief priests and rulers and condemned and put to death in a horrible, horrible way. So where did that leave them as disciples of Jesus? Where did that leave them as a nation? It left them quite hopeless. But these two disciples at least were obviously not as fearful as the others, as the inner core that had been closest to Jesus who were hiding. These two were carrying on with their lives, still trying to make sense of it all, walking together and discussing with each other what had transpired. They had been Jesus' disciples and remained so until the end, or so they thought. And they still had Jesus' teaching to reflect on, even if, as they thought, they no longer had him. And we can see that they were analyzing Jesus' words in light of the current events, because that is what they continued to do, even when the risen Jesus actually approached them on the road and asked them what they were discussing. Now I want you to see four things from the story today. And the first thing is what I spoke about on Easter Sunday this year, that Jesus himself approached them and spoke to them as they were talking to one another about him. Again, do you want Jesus to come near to you, then meet with other followers of Jesus and talk about him. And do it even when you are sad and confused, even about Jesus. In fact, especially in those times, we are to do that. And when we do, Jesus comes near. Jesus himself said, when two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. As we see with these two disciples, it's good to meet and to talk about Jesus even when you are sad. Don't be ashamed to express that with other disciples. Don't be afraid even to ask questions. How do you find answers unless you inquire, unless you ask? And the second thing I want you to see in the story is that these two disciples were not ashamed or afraid to share the story about Jesus and of what they had hoped in him, even to a stranger. They didn't recognize 
that it was Jesus when he approached them and engaged them. In their minds, he was any stranger, but they shared with him anyway. They just did it. Even though they didn't have all the answers, they were honest and engaging. And as Christ's followers, we are Christ's ambassadors. And as such, we can be sure our adversary, the devil, will try to stop us from sharing about Jesus. And our adversary will try and put into our minds that our own questions or lack of understanding, and especially our past failures, disqualify us from sharing our hope in Jesus. Well, that's baloney. It doesn't stop us. And as long as you are Jesus' follower and seeking to grow closer to him and repentant and receiving of his forgiveness, you should go ahead and share your faith. Let others think what they will of you. That's okay. These disciples of Jesus told this stranger everything, even in their sadness and in their confusion. And how did the stranger respond? Well, he called them foolish. It happened. But this time it was not for what they believed, because it was Jesus, but it was for what they hadn't believed. Jesus said, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? So what was their problem? They hadn't believed it was necessary for the one who they called a prophet, mighty in word and deed, and who they had thought was the one who would redeem Israel to suffer and die the way that Jesus did and enter his glory. That made absolutely no sense to them from their understanding. The one who they called a prophet, Jesus called the Christ, or the anointed one. In other words, not a prophet, but the prophet, like Moses from Deuteronomy 18, 15 to 19, whom the people must obey. The Messiah figure of the Psalms and of Isaiah. The expectation of the nations from Genesis 49, 10. The desire of all nations from Haggai 2, 6 to 7. These two disciples' faith had already been diminished from the prophet to a prophet because they hadn't grasped or, or believed that the one who was the prophet had to suffer and die. But it was so. So Jesus had to show them that. And he did. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And it seems that he did that in an hour or so's time. And Cleopas and his companions were, were real disciples. They proved that by not get, getting offended at Jesus when he called them foolish and by staying with him and listening. There is always more to understand from scriptures 
except for those who think they know it all. And that's the third thing I want you to see and to understand today from this story. All of us who listen to scriptural sermons and who read and study scripture must come to it with humble attitudes and open hearts if we want to learn and grow. We must listen to Jesus. We have a lot to learn from him. We must recognize that we are foolish. And it's not just our minds that have the problem. It's our hearts. We are naturally slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Something is hindering us, and it's usually our pride. Jesus interpreted fully to these two disciples the scriptures that revealed it was necessary that the Christ, the anointed one of Israel, should suffer the very things that he did to enter his glory. Their understanding had been closed to that aspect of scripture, even though they had been Jesus' followers. And even though Jesus had explained many times over that he would have to suffer and be crucified. They had been his disciples, and yet their understanding was somehow kept closed to that most important aspect of Jesus' ministry, just as their eyes were still kept from recognizing Jesus even then. And we must ask, why? Was, was the curse proclaimed on God's people from Isaiah 6? Keep hearing but not understanding, keep seeing but not perceiving? Was that in place until Jesus' resurrection? One would think that that would have been broken at the baptism of that, at their baptism of, of repentance. But it seems that these disciples of Jesus, like Thomas and the others, had to experience Jesus alive somehow before they truly believed in him. And Jesus, of course, said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. So what was the problem if that wasn't it? Well, it must have been that their minds were so fixed on one aspect of the Messiah's future ministry as a national deliverer like Moses from the oppressing nation and his material kingdom to follow that they missed the main, the most important part of Jesus' ministry. Jesus asked them, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter his glory? It was. It was necessary so that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in Jesus' name to all nations, not just Israel. That was Jesus' mission, to do his delivering work on the cross which would liberate everyone who looked to him there by faith from the power of sin and darkness. And that was what these two disciples hadn't grasped, grasped from scripture as necessary. The once for all sacrificial atonement that had to be accomplished by Jesus, by the Messiah. They had missed that, and because they missed that, what happened to Jesus was regarded by them as a tragedy. 
It was as if Moses was put to death before he delivered God's people from Pharaoh in Egypt. So Jesus had to give these two disciples a personal crash course on all that they had been missing about Christ in the scriptures. And no doubt that included the Passover lamb who was the biggest part of the deliverance from Egypt and about everything else in scripture that pointed to Jesus. And their hearts burned for more as he did that. And that is what it should be like studying scripture. I always thought that the best sermons or lectures on scripture were not the ones that gave all the answers, but those who inspired the listeners to go home and to go deeper in their own study afterward because God wants us all to go deeper with him, taught by his Holy Spirit. Well, finally, these disciples arrived at their destination, but Jesus acted as if he was going on. But he was there, however, to open their eyes to his living reality. They urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. I wonder, do you urge Jesus strongly to come into your home and stay with you, to come into your environment wherever you are truly yourself? Do you invite him into every aspect of your life and your being? That's the fourth and most important thing I'd like you to see about this story because Jesus won't intrude. You have to invite Jesus in. And when you do, when you invite him into your being to come and to stay with you, that is when he fully reveals himself to you. That is when he feeds you with his bread of life. So today, as you come to communion, I would urge you to invite him in as you partake of this bread and wine that represents him. He, he comes into us by his Holy Spirit, by faith in Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is, is not clear to us from the word alone. We need the Holy Spirit to reveal it to us. So invite him in. Ask Jesus to reveal himself. So he went in and he stayed with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open and they recognized him. That is what happened back then in Emmaus and that continues to happen today by God's grace when we have faith in him. So I'd invite you all to, when you come to receive communion today, just again, open your heart fully to Jesus. And if it's the first time you do it, then tell a friend what you did. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you that you are always here with us. You always want us to invite you into our hearts. You always want us to recognize your presence, Lord, that is always with us, even when we don't see you, even when we don't understand you. If we have asked you, Lord, into our hearts, you are always here with us by 
your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we just ask you to make yourself real today as we, Lord, contemplate you and your word, Lord. And as we partake of this communion, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.